Howdy friends, I'm Molly, your host today, and I want to welcome you back to the No Boundaries International podcast. So as a reminder, this podcast is meant to be used as a tool to help equip you in your walk with Jesus in the areas of restoration, training, and outreach. And it's super fun because we do this by using a combination of exploring biblical principles and then taking a closer look at concepts found in our Journey of Restoration CPR style e-course. And then we have tons and tons of discussions surrounding what it truly means to follow Jesus in these areas. In today's episode, I'm super excited because, of course, we will have our No Boundaries International co-founder and vice president, Sandy Orchard, joining us. Hello. And really what we want to look at today is the life of Hannah found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's a great story. It is such a good story. So what we want to do is we want to look at her life and look at how she handled abuse and hardship and heartache and mourning and really see how God met her in the middle of it all. And we also want to take a look at her faithfulness. So I think the first thing that we really need to do to really dive in here is to read the whole chapter as, you know, so that we get the whole concept from kind of the bird's eye point of view, we get the whole story in context. And then after that, we'll break it down into sections and see what the story is telling us. So to kick us off, we're going to ask Sandy if she would mind reading 1 Samuel chapter 1. All right, I'll do it. And this is the message version yes. for uh, whoever wants to follow along. So it says, there was once a man who lived in Ramiathim, that's, I can't, yeah, I can't I pronounce know. these things very well. He was <laughs> descended from the old Zuf family in the Ephraim Hills. His name was Elkanah. He was connected with the Zufs from Ephraim through his father, Jer- Jeroham, and his grandfather, Elihu, and his great-grandfather, Tohu. We're not going to have any questions about these <laughs> names, are we? <laughs> Hope not. Anyway, he had two wives. The first was Hannah. The second was uh, Penina, and Penina had children, and Hannah did not. Every year, this man went from his hometown up to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to to God of the angel armies. Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had served as priests of God there. When Elkanah sacrificed, he passed helpings from the sacrificial meal around to his wife, Penina, and all her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much and because God had not given her children. But her rival wife taunted her cruelly rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. Her husband Elkanah said, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? So Hannah ate. Then she pulled herself together, slipped away quietly, and entered the sanctuary. The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance of God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. O God of the angel armies, if you'll take a good hard look at my pain, and if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him to you completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a, a life of holy discipline. It so happened, and then it so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was close, was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and said, "You're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman." Then Hannah said, "Oh no, sir! Please, I'm a woman who's broken-hearted. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart." Pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here for so long. Eli answered her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked of him. Think well of me and pray for me, she said, and she went her, she went her way. Then she ate heartily, her face radiant. At before dawn, they worshipped God and returned home to Ramah. Elkanah slept with Hannah, his wife, and God became... Uh, began making necessary arrangements in response to what she had asked. Before the year was out, Hannah had conceived and given birth to a son. She named him Samuel, explaining, I asked God for him. When Elkanah took, next took his, uh, his family on their annual trip to Shiloh to worship God, offering sacrifices and keeping his vow, Hannah didn't go. 
She told her husband, After the child is weaned, I'll bring him myself and present him before God, and that's where he'll stay, for good. Elkanah said to his wife, Well, do what you think best. Stay home until you have weaned him. Yes, let God complete what he has begun. And so she did. She stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Then she took him up to Shiloh, bringing also the makings of a generous sacrificial meal, uh, a prized bull, flour, and wine. The child was so young to be sent off. They first butchered the bull, then they brought the child to Eli. Hannah said, Excuse me, sir, would you believe that I'm the very woman who is standing before you at this very spot praying to God? I prayed for this child, and God gave me what I asked for, and now I've dedicated to him God. He's dedicated to God for life. Then and there, they worshiped God. Wow, that's so good. And I really had to like refrain from being like, okay, stop there. Okay, stop there. Because <laughs> I'm so excited. You guys, I love the story of Hannah. I think there's so much that we can learn from her, just her heart. So what we want to do is we want to go back and take this by sections. And so the very first thing that I want us to look at is verses 3 through 7, where we are given the opportunity to see what life is even like for Hannah. Like this will kind of set it up. So it says, verses 3 through 7, it says, Every year this man, which is Hannah's husband, right? He went from his hometown up to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to God of the angel armies. Eli had his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, is that how you say it? Yes. Who served as priests of God there. When Elkanah sacrificed, he passed the helpings from the sacrificial meal around to his wife, Penaniah. Close enough. Okay. <laughs> and all her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much and because God had not given her children. But here's the thing. It's like you also get this picture of here's her rival wife who taunted her cruelly and rubbed it in and never let her forget that God had not given her children. And this went on, you guys, year after year after year. Like, can you imagine that every time Hannah was going up to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted and tormented. And this is what led her to the place of having no appetite and being reduced to tears. So, I just want us to get a really good picture of Hannah's life. So what we know from this is, so she has a husband, right? She has a husband, Elkanah, who loves her. And you see that Elkanah really loves Hannah because he brings her extra helpings of food and he wants to encourage her of like, am I not worth to you more than 10 mm -hmm. sons? Like he's really showering her with, with blessings and with honor. Like this is a man who loves his wife. So Hannah's this woman who has this husband who loves her so much, but then on the other side of that, then the other wife, like, is someone who taunts her. So Elkanah's other wife is this person who brings her a lot of emotional and mental abuse. So you're in the same family, right? Like, they're in the same family. And Elkanah's right in the middle. And Elkanah's right in the middle of it. And so the other wife... So you have the husband who loves her, and then you have the other wife who's just unrelenting. Mm -hmm. And I just think that we can really just put ourselves in Hannah's position sometimes. Of like, there's just people who are just unrelenting, sometimes even in our own family, that will cause us emotional or mental distress all the time. So then you have this 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 other wife, mm -hmm. and then you have this. Uh, where you're associating, where Hannah's now probably associating the sanctuary of God as the place that she can expect to be taunted. Which is totally not what the Which sanctuary is, is built for. You know what I mean? That's a, not the right, right. the right storyline for So her. the place of safety is actually the place where she goes and other people, this other person in her family is literally tormenting her. Mm -hmm. Like this is wild. So we know this from the story. We know that she's unable to have children, right? Mm -hmm. It says that she hasn't had any children. This is why she's so distraught. And she's so emotionally unstable that she can't eat. That she can't eat and all she wants to do is cry. And I just know, like, that's so relatable. Like, at some point in our lives, we probably all have felt this way. Like, 
if we look at her life, isn't there a lot of things that we can relate to in how Hannah is feeling? And do we have people in our lives that care about us, like how Hannah's husband showers her with love? So there's probably people in our life that represent, you know, Hannah's husband who just wants to love us and they want to help us and they want to show us how much we're loved and valued. And then on the, and they can do that all they want, but it's really not ever enough, right? Mm-hmm. And we pr- probably also have people in our life who torment and feel like that it's just emotionally or mentally abusive or just rude. Yeah. <laughs> and then where it's unrelenting. And then we probably have those places that are supposed to look like safe places mm-hmm. that really bring up bad memories or bad feelings all around us. Mm-hmm. Like there's just some something that we can get There's a lot of different stuff going on. Right. There. Yeah. So I just really, before we jumped in, in to really get the overall picture of Hannah's life as a whole, Sandy, what do you think? Well, there's just, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on and let me just throw some cultural stuff that goes on that's going on in there. So during this time, I guess a lot of people, when they read the story about, uh, Samuel and you know, here we have Elkanah and he's got two wives so the question invariably comes up because it's also uh, other parts of the Old Testament is is like the question of polygamy. Does yeah. so is God really condoning polygamy by you know here it is in the Bible, and and He's really not because if you read in Genesis two twenty four you know God and that's early on Genesis you know that's the beginning the beginning <laughs> He says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife singular yeah and they will become one flesh not fleshes so. God really doesn't condone polygamy, but in another sense, he may be tolerating it because during that time and much of the Old Testament time in the Jewish context, a woman, like she's living in a man's world and Mm -hmm. she cannot, she can't, if if she's, um, whether it was a divorce or whether the husband died, she can't fend for herself. She's unable to take a job because it's a man's world. That's like only the men work and get paid, that sort of thing. So if a woman is left like without a husband or a man in her life, whether that's the father or or a husband, and if she's left in that in that really vulnerable position, man, she's way up a creek. Um, yeah. And a lot of times, the only option would be for her. And imagine if she had kids too. Right. Um, the only um, option that she might have is uh, like prostitution or slavery. And so, I think you know God may be tolerating this polygamy thing because in Jewish culture, what they've done is they've created this uh, system where like, let's just say uh, a woman's husband died, and then culturally it was expected that the, the dead husband, his his brother, would marry her mm. just to take care of her so that she's not left out on the streets. Wow. So it's not that he's kind of trying to rack up all these wives and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's just that it's a safety mechanism in the culture that the women aren't left, you know, on the streets. Yeah. So I think in that context... God is like, he allows that because he doesn't want people just abandoned sort of thing. Yeah. But the other thing too is, so then there's the question of like, how is um, being barren or being unable to have children, how is that viewed in that culture? And there's a huge amount of shame revolving around it. So Hannah's probably dealing with the whole shame factor. Yeah. And so I think what you've described with the, the like the scenario between the other wife, Penaniah. Penaniah. <laughs> Between her and the husband, um, Elkanah. So, Pananiah, she's like she's bought into the cultural narrative that, like, hey, you can't have you can't have children. You must be cursed by the gods. And then, wow. and then, totally feeds into that every time, especially when they go to the the sanctuary to the temple and taunts her and taunts her totally unrelenting. So she's bought into that narrative. Whereas Elkanah, he he he, he doesn't look like he's bought into that cultural narrative that. If you can't have kids, you're you're cursed by the gods, and you should be shamed, and you should be put out, and all right. that sort of thing. He doesn't buy into that. So I think it's a there's a picture too, you know, for each one of us. Sometimes there's things in society that are just really not good, and so are we as believers? Are we going to buy into that narrative, or are we going to get God's perspective on it? Mm, that's good. But and then the other thing that you kind of mentioned was that like, um, so here we have Hannah. She's probably got a lot of shame around this. Because the other thing I failed to mention, so children in that culture were considered like the safety mechanism for your old age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's not like welfare and Medicaid and 
uh, or some government system that's going to provide for you when you're old. It was your kids. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so having lots of children is not only like seen as a blessing, but also on a very practical sense, they're the ones that are going to take care of you when you're old because the families lived in these big houses. They're all together. Wow. It's not like here in America where everybody's got the little houses separated, that sort of thing. Yeah. So Hannah's, Hannah's in this context and she's probably carrying a lot of shame. I'm sure lots of people have pointed fingers at her. And, um, and she, you know, she, like any person really wants to be loved by her husband and he's really a good guy. He's really trying to help her and, yeah. and really trying to love her well. But the way God has designed us with, um, you know, uh, all these desires in our heart, he's designed us in such a way that he intentionally has put those desires in our heart for love and safety and security and, uh, significance. And, and there's a, quite a long list of them. He's designed it that he wants to meet those needs. Mm-hmm. And so here at No Boundaries, we have the journey of restoration, and, and it, we really came to realize that that's how God designed us. And there's, um, if you, like for the listener, you can Google that on uh, on your computer or your phone. It, that it's called the desire wheel, and it, and it shows all the different emotions um, that God has designed and put within us that can only be met by God himself. Mm-hmm. And we are like humans are a social being and that's how God designed us. And he wants us to interact and be loved by other people. But really the, the top tier, the most impactful um, love in your life and significance in your life will only come from God. Yeah. He will be the only one to meet those desires. And so I think Hannah is in that position. Like, am I going to keep looking to Elkanah for, to meet those desires and I think as the story progresses, you're, you're going to talk about it, yeah. I'm sure, that and like she really gets her significance from God. Mm-hmm. So she's made a smart choice. And th- yeah, she does. So we should keep going because this is whenever it starts to get really, really good. But so now we kind of have this overall picture of Hannah's life. And even then, I didn't know that, Sandy, that it was like there was also like the security in the children. Uh-huh. So this not having a child represents so much. A lot. Like you don't yeah. even get like the honor of carrying a child and seeing as the blessing. But what what you're internalizing is that you can't provide for your family either. Like mm-hmm. you, like your security is gone. Your future, your at future risk. right? Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen to you in your old age? But I mean, as so, a woman, like Hannah, she's got those motherly instincts in her. I'm sure. Yeah, and she's responding to those. But then there's the practical side of it, like you just mentioned, that like you're talking about your future, too, that your kids are going to take care of you because this is an agricultural society. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be one to take care of the farm or at least know some way to continually be fed, that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of different little tangents in that. So there's a lot of different dynamics working against Hannah yeah. not being able to have children. Yeah. And so, I mean, which, of course, then that would drive her with anxiety and depression and not wanting to eat. I mean, I know that we've all felt that way where you just feel so down Mm -hmm. that you just can't eat. You don't want to sleep. You're not really, you know, thriving. Right. And like, we can all relate to that place Mm -hmm. in some way. So we have this picture of this woman and she's being emotionally abused by Penaniah, the other wife, who keeps poking at the very thing that she desires. Like that's the like Hannah knows that she can't have kids and you just have someone who's just poking at that very hurt spot mm-hmm. in your life. And then you have a husband who's unable to meet Hannah's needs and unable to solve the problem, unable to solve them. He's yeah. like, man, he's trying. And so then you have Hannah and she's left there just crying and unsatisfied and hurt and not eating. So then Sandy, what happens after that? Will you just read verse eight? Sure. Okay, so then her husband, Elkanah, said, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not uh, not of more worth to you than ten sons? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So pause. We're going to pause there. And I know it's only one verse, but this is so important. So after, like, Hannah's husband can see that she's so upset He goes on then to ask her why she's crying and why she's not eating and why she's upset. Like he has a heart to know like what is going on here, right? And then, like I just don't think we can do this without just making this point, but then he makes it about himself. 
he says, am I not of more worth to you than 10 sons? And I think I just, this is a little bit of a side note with this, but I think we have to pause and look at this for just a second, because I think sometimes that we do this. Like when someone is hurting or upset, we'll try and try and try to fix it or even to help set up the best environment for them that we possibly can and we'll love them or we'll sacrifice for them. And yet then when they don't like get better, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. then we internalize it as that there's something wrong with us. So like he is internalizing, like, am I not of more worth than 10 sons? Like he's basing his own worth off of, how Hannah's feeling. This is crazy. And we know that the point of the story is to focus on Hannah, but I can't get through this without acknowledging this part. And all the husband has done is made Hannah's hurting about himself. Whenever really the truth is, is that sometimes sometimes people are, are hurting and spoiler alert, maybe it has nothing to do with us. Like maybe they're just going through it. And then Sometimes it's really not going to matter what we do or what we don't do. If that person is stuck in their feelings or stuck in their despair, then it's not going to matter how hard we try because only God can pull them out of it. Mm -hmm. And now we see a husband who is basing his entire worth and his entire value on Hannah's emotional distress. And I think a lot of times that we do this or we try to do this in our own personal relationships. And when I read this story, I just see this as a, almost just a little bit of a warning of what not to do. Hmm. And I know like at No Boundaries, we talk a lot about connecting with others and we do tons of outreach. You know what I mean? And for us, we have a 49, 51% rule Mm -hmm. as in we'll go 49% and we'll meet that person at 49, but they have to want to help themselves Mm -hmm. with 51%. So I just want to make it clear that even from the husband's point of view, like we've all been there when we see someone hurting and it doesn't matter what we do or what we say, like we can't always fix it Mm -hmm. because what we need to do is point that person to Jesus because he's the only one who can. And we see this play out in the story even, but I just want us to be careful that as we read this, that we see where even with the people that we love, we need to know that we're not the savior that God is. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Molly. So what do you think, Sandy? Well, you know, I guess, you know, one way you could read it, and and I'm not saying this is correct. I'm just saying, I'm wondering if sometimes you can read the thing about um, Elkanah and say, well, he's just being insensitive. Well, I'm not, I'm I'm just not sure if that's true. But, and then I also wonder if kind of like, if he's just frustrated with him, within himself, here's the woman he really does love. Yeah. And then he's trying to make things better for her, and he can't. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like you said, though, because, um, that's, you know, he's, is he, is he, the question becomes, is he trying to be like God and fix the problem that only God can fix, rather than, like you said, point her to God? So, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that really is a, a good point. And so then he doesn't need to make it about, him because then what's going to happen is he's well, going to start if that's spoken out of frustration right yeah that he'll then start making his value based on mm-hmm. whether someone else gets better or not and that's just not healthy for yeah. anyone right so now instead of just having hannah's issues now you have his as well <laughs> so i just want us to to notice that and just be careful okay so then if we continue we're going to read and so then what is then hannah's response to her husband making it about himself. So Sandy, will you read verses nine through 11? Okay. So Hannah ate, and then she pulled herself together, slipped away quietly and entered the sanctuary. The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance of God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. O God of the angel armies, if you'll take a good hard look at my pain, and if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. Okay, that's so good. So let's just look at this for a little bit. So the first thing that Hannah does in response to her husband, so her husband who's now made it about himself, and he says, am I not more worth to you than than 10 sons? Hannah's first response is that she eats, right? Mm -hmm. It says it right there. So Hannah ate. Then she pulled herself together. 
So her response to her husband, who's making it about him, is she eats. And like, my question then was, well, why? Why was she, why is she suddenly going to eat now? And here's what I think. I think it's because she could see that she was hurting her husband's feelings by not eating. (laughs) So she wasn't, she wasn't actually eating her meal out of a true place of freedom in her pain. She was just going through the motions. She's going through the motions of being okay. But again, another spoiler alert is that going through the motions or faking it till you make it does not work. And we even see how this plays out in the rest of the story. But so even as Hannah's just like eating just to appease her husband so that no one's really like on her case anymore, like you still see that this doesn't work out for her. So it then says that she pulls herself together and then she went into the sanctuary. So like, whoa. She knows that she needs to meet with God, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is, if she eats, but it doesn't actually just out of a place of just needing to go through the motions, but then she immediately is like, this isn't working. I'm not actually happy. Like I need to go to the sanctuary. I need to meet with the only one who can do anything about this. So she knows that God is the only one who can actually help her. So she pulls herself together long enough to go into the sanctuary. And this is going to be the very sanctuary that Penaniah, the other wife, consistently torments her in. So this is going to be a place that represents pain and that represents heartache. And she pushed past that pain, right? She pushed past like all of that torment. And she still went in because she knew that she had to get to God because he's the only one who can truly meet her needs. And I love this about Hannah is it it's like in that same way for us, we cannot avoid the places that bring us pain if it's the very place that God needs to meet us in. Like sometimes we'll I don't I don't I mean I'm not necessarily even meaning like a physical place. Do you know what I mean? I mean like if there's stuck places or or hurts in our minds or in our heart, then every time like we think about it or we get a feeling, we're reminded of the hurt that someone has caused us. But if we really look at what Hannah's actions are doing, like look at her, like she's meeting with God in the very place that has been not safe for her over and over again, because she knows that that's a place that she needs to meet with him. Mm -hmm. And like, How true is that for us? I mean, that's the whole reason why we even have the Journey of Restoration. I mean, and we talk about in the Journey of Restoration e-course, like uh, just about reframing with God and having Him really insert Himself or meet us in our stuck places. But what Hannah does is this is just a very awesome physical representation of what Jesus does for us is that when we push past and we go to the very place that we need to go to meet with God, regardless of the hurt that's come at us in the past, like things supernaturally happen. Because then, because then, as we continue on, we see that then Hannah took all of her pain and all of her disappointment and she cried out to the only one who could help her. And we're seeing her address the pain in the physical by being at the sanctuary, so a place of of taunting and a place of abuse, and in the spiritual as she cries out to Father God, knowing that he really and truly is the only one who can satisfy her. And she took her crushed soul and her crushed spirit, and she brought it to the place that it needed to go. Like, this is huge. This is huge. Mm -hmm. Okay, Sandy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering, like, because you had mentioned to it about, you had mentioned about the journey restoration when we talk about reframing, and I kind of wondered too. So, um, like, I had read the thing about that she ate, and then she pulls herself together and goes into the temple. And I'm just, and I don't know, we, I guess we'll never really know the the real truth behind it, but I just kind of wonder if she's had kind of an aha moment, like mm-hmm. a reframing moment, where she realizes that that. Like the temple was meant to be a place to meet God. Yeah. And all this other stuff, this whole like shaming thing and this whole name calling, finger pointing thing that's going on and the uh, that she's had in the past for so long, it's just a bunch of lies, you know? Mm-hmm. And really the truth is that 
this is a place where I'm supposed to meet God. Well, let's just do it. Yeah. And so I, that's, I don't know. I don't know if that's what's happening, but it just seems like, like she ate and then she pulled herself together. It kind of makes me, she seems like she's realized something. Yes. And now she's kind of like on the mission. I'm going to go meet God because he's really the only one who's going to be able to fix this whole thing. Like and coming into the truth of mm-hmm. it instead of like buying into the lies that surround it with the accusations and the shame and all that. She realizes the truth of what this place is supposed to be. And she, she goes for the truth instead of listening to the lies. Yeah. Which is so good because she could have easily chosen not to. Yeah. She could have easily she could have just like, stayed in that whole place of listening to all the accusations and the shame and all that. Yeah. And she could have very much just chosen to avoid the sanctuary at all costs because it brings up painful stuff for her. Yeah. Be it she doesn't. And also in contextually speaking, like um, Eli, if you read further in Samuel, like the chapters that follow, Eli is, he's a, the high priest in that temple in that sanctuary, but he's not a good guy. Mm. He was really, he was doing a lot of bad things. And so I'm wondering if she is beginning to put two and two together and realizing, so, you know, I come here and the leader of the place is kind of not a good guy. And I'm hearing these, you know, it's become this place of accusation when I come here, but maybe that's just a a bunch of lies that I'm seeing. And maybe the truth is, I'm here to meet God. So let's go meet God. Yeah. I'm one, I don't know. I'm just kind of wondering if there's that aha moment for her where she's exchanged a lie for the truth, you know? I know that there has to be something there because I know that even for me or for any of us as humans, like it's hard to go to the very place where you are receiving the most torment or the most accusation. Like it is hard to push past that and, and go and be with God, even if that's the thing that he's asking you to do. So there, I know that there has to have been something. I'll be excited to ask her. Like, yeah, how was it? Okay. But speaking of Eli, like, let's go ahead and read what happens as Hannah is in this place of she, she pulled herself together. She's Mm -hmm. in the sanctuary. She's pouring herself out to God. And then what happens? So I think, let's see, I think we're talking about like 12 through 16 verses, right? Yes, yes, yes. Verses 12 through 16. Okay. So it says, it so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped at the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and said, You're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. And Hannah said, Oh, no, sir, please. I'm a woman who's brokenhearted. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart, pouring out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here for so long. Wow. Dude. <laughs> this this is rough. This is probably one of the most rough like ones for me to read. Yeah. I don't know why it does something inside of me, but I mean, look at this. Like Hannah in the middle of pouring her heart out to God, knowing that only God can help her, is when literally the high priest comes in and what does he do? He accuses. Yeah, he accuses her. He accuses her of sinning in the sanctuary whenever she's really just pouring herself out to God. So this is supposed to be the very place that is supposed to be, again, like safe for her is now becoming a place of accusation. Like, so it's the, this is the, the, the sanctuary of God. Yeah. Like, this is supposed to be, like, a place to meet with God. Yeah. And now we have Penaniah, who's tormenting and taunting and poking at her wound and rubbing salt in it. And then... And then Eli. And then you have Eli, the high priest. This is like your church leader coming in and accusing you of sinning when you she's done nothing wrong. Yeah. Like... This part like makes my stomach a little queasy. Well, I will. Let me also just throw it in there that during this time, like in the ancient times, and I've seen this in other cultures too, is like I, I've traveled a lot and I've seen this, but that like in, in this context with Eli and, and Hannah, when a person prayed, you prayed out loud. Mm. And so I think this is, I think this is like a compliment to Hannah, this part of the story. Yeah. Because She's breaking outside the cultural norm. Yeah, she is. So she's not doing what everybody else does and prays out loud. Mm. She's praying. She's praying in her heart. Like it's coming from her heart. It's not just a bunch of words. And I'm not saying everybody who prays out loud is just like 
let's just throw some words out there, but I'm saying, man, it's, it's from her heart mm-hmm. and she's, so I think this is a really good compliment of pointing to Hannah about how she's not afraid to break the norm in order to make connection with God. Yeah. She's doing it from her heart and it's real. That's so good. So, right. And so it doesn't stop her, right? It doesn't stop her. So she doesn't this... care what the, the high priest dude is, is thinking. She wants to connect with God. I think it's a great picture At for all her. costs. Yeah. And she does. So this doesn't stop her from praying. And I can't read this and not think about then just for a minute, like just all the people who have even like left the church because they were hurt by someone in the church. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like, like that's a longstanding complaint. So yes. Just to tie it in to now and from probably the church forever. This has been the thing that's happened yeah. is people will leave the church because of accusation or things that have happened at the church. But if we actually look at the life of Hannah, the quote unquote church for her was the place of knowing she was going to be tormented by the other wife. And then the cherry on top is that the literal, I'm going to quote unquote pastor was rude and straight up accused her of being drunk when she's really just connecting to God. And I'm thinking like, how many times have people left the church and, or even worse, like stopped following Jesus because someone in the church hurt them or accused them of something that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Like that they let it affect them to that degree yeah. that they would disconnect from the body as a whole or even disconnect from Jesus himself. So they got offended. Right. So they got offended. And Hannah could have got offended. Mm-hmm. And she, she did. She very easily could have. Right. So if we look at this example that's right in front of us, Hannah's response is, no, I'm not drunk. I'm brokenhearted and pouring my heart out to God. Like, she literally doesn't stop the connection to God. And she could have. She could have chosen to be offended. She could have chosen to get a hardened heart. She could have decided that the church and everything with it was bad. She could have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and decided that God was bad and not worth it. And she could have left. Uh But she didn't. She told him what was happening, and then she kept going. Like, how powerful is that? Yeah. Like, just to see, like, she was going, like you said, like, she was going to connect with God at all costs. Yeah. She knows that he's the only one who can do anything. And I just think if we, as the whole, as the whole body, myself included, if we would stop with the offense or stop with, like, when something happens, it is a little icky or feels a little bit, like, hurt, like, if we could stop just immediately putting up walls or thinking, oh, it'd be better if I just detached from the body or if mm-hmm. I just go over here and do my own thing. Like, that's not the answer. The answer then is to keep going, which is exactly what Hannah does. No, I think you were really um, right there. I mean, she could have, she had a momentary decision moment where she could have been offended with the whole thing with Eli, with his comments yeah. and benefited with that whole thing and then just call it quits. But she didn't. And so she ch- chose not to be offended. And this is even from a church leader, the yeah. church leader, the highest leader in the land. Yeah. Right. Like this making an accusation against her, but it's kind of like she's in, it's almost like she's saying, yeah, whatever I'm going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Say whatever you want, but I'm, I'm meeting with God. I mean, she literally just addresses it. No, I'm not drunk. Moving on. Moving on, yeah. Like, so, okay, so let's read about how she actually moved on. So after this, then Hannah explains to the priest what was really happening. And then here's how he responds. So, Sandy, we go ahead with, I think this is verses 17 through 20. Okay. So Eli answered her, go in peace, and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked him. Think well of me and pray for me, she said, and, and she went her way. Then she ate heartily, her face radiant. Up before dawn, they worshipped God and returned home to Ramah. Elkanah slept with his wife Hannah, and God began began making necessary arrangements in response to what she had asked. And before the year was out, Hannah had conceived and given birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, explaining, I asked God for him. Oh, so good. This is my favorite story right now. (laughs) And, okay, so there's like three things that I really want to note here. So just kind of hang in there. The first thing is that do you see how Eli the priest responded to her after she explained what she was doing? Like he says, 
Go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked of him. Like, hello, this is the result of healthy communication. (laughs) And I'm not saying that this is how it always works out. But when Hannah then chose to explain what was happening in her heart, rather than just responding out of offense and leaving and instead of responding out of the accusation against her, like the priest was able to understand. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she could have started yelling at him. She could have lost it. She could have in the no boundaries journey restoration term, like flipped her lid and responded out of fear or rejection. Yes, but she didn't. She just said, Hey, actually, let me go ahead and not that I need to, but let me just go ahead and explain to you what's actually happening in my heart. That's healthy communication. Mm -hmm. Like, Right then and there, we get a perfect example of healthy communication in First Samuel chapter one. Yeah, and it doesn't always in pan out way. like this. Yeah, but for him, for Eli, like he got it, mm-hmm. he understood. And sometimes we really just need better communication of our heart instead of just jumping on the offense wagon and then riding off down the hill with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we really need to know that, like even in our responses. We need to know how to respond without offense Mm -hmm. because that gives the other person a chance to actually hear and understand what we're trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. But when we start trying to communicate out of offense and rejection and fear, it always goes downhill. But this is a perfect example of someone saying, actually, no, here's what was going on. So then the second thing that I want to look at is that I really want to note that before Before Hannah ever got what she asked for, her joy was already restored. So like before she even got the kid, her joy was restored because it says she went on her way. Then she ate heartily her face radiant. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that her not eating is very much associated with her despair and her hopelessness and the fact that she's eating now. Like, we know that she's in much better spirits. So her joy has returned, and you can even see it on her face, her face radiant, and all of this happened before she even got what she asked God for. Because this shows me that God is truly her joy. Yes. Like, Jesus is truly her joy. So not the things that he does for us, because in reality, he's already done everything for us. And all Hannah needed to do to get her joy back was to pour her heart out to the Lord and then allow him the space to fill her again. And I think that this is crazy because that kind of joy, when we're in Christ, will come regardless of our circumstances. Like every single time. If we choose to trust him. If we choose to trust him. Yeah. And... Her joy returned to her when nothing about her situation had changed yet. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. So like her joy returned and nothing had changed yet. Not her home life, not her suddenly being pregnant. None of it was circumstantial. And that's what Jesus does for us. That no matter the circumstances that we can truly be unmovable in our joy and our peace and our love and literally all the fruit of the spirit Because that's who he is. Like, that's what he gives us whenever we receive his blood. That we have the fullness of the spirit, meaning that we will have the fullness of the fruit. And one of the fruits is joy. Mm -hmm. And this is how I think as mature Christians that we're called to respond, is that we don't give circumstances the power of our emotional well-being. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when I read this, I was like, Oh my gosh, she's restored. Her joy is restored way before, well, at least three sentences, (laughs) at least three sentences before she actually gets the thing that she had asked for. Like, cause Uh it wasn't about even getting the thing that she asked for. She just needed to pour her heart out and have God witness her pain. Yeah. And I think, I think that too, with that, I mean, I think it's all that you said, but I think too, that there's a, there's a huge trust factor in her heart. Yeah. That, and it brings contentment. And so like, I think I just wonder, and this is the big question mark, cause we'll never really know. This is before she was able to conceive. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if like, if the, 
she goes before God and she just trusts him. Like, in other words, I trust you no matter what, because mm-hmm. I, I just want you. I want to be content in you and I want to have my satisfaction and my, my everything in you. I mean, I would really like to have a child, yeah. God, but I really think I, I am just content with, with just you, you know, and there's that relational love trust thing where she, she's decided that her just being with God is enough. Yeah. And then he fulfills her longing in that. And it's not that there's a kind of manipulation in that. She's not saying it to manipulate God to give her the child, but I think I just kind of wonder if there's a deep seated trust and that you see in the, the symbolism of her, her face being radiant and she's eating like where she's just decided, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Regardless of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, the third point is that then after her joy returned, regardless of the situation, then God moved in her and gave her the very thing that she, she asked wanted, for. Yeah. Like, but it was after she was already content in him. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, I want us to be careful with this because mm-hmm. this isn't always how right. it looks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I definitely don't want to put that transactional right. thing on it or none of that. Because it doesn't always happen like this. But the point is that God is the one who gives. He gave Hannah joy, Mm -hmm. right? And then he gave her the child. And especially for Hannah, he's the one who chose to give her what she asked for. Even though we just read the point is that Hannah was going to be okay either way. And so she was okay. Her face was already radiant. She was already eating before and then afterwards, when God gave it to her, she has that same amount of joy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the unchanging joy of the Lord. Yeah. And that's, that's beautiful. And that's the very thing that Jesus offers us, is that when we go to him and we ask him for something, or we're asking or contending for something, for a desire of our heart, that he'll meet that maybe in ways that we don't even, that we can't even fully understand and in ways that might not look like then quote unquote getting what you want. Yeah. Because that's not how he works. And I think it's really important that you bring that up too, because like, as you read the old Testament, like when the Israelites left Egypt, then there was the time of Moses and they were 40 years in the wilderness. Okay. So after that, then, um, Joshua comes onto the scene and every time, so like God tells the Israelites, okay, now go take the promised land. But every time they had to go take a city, they realized that they had to stop. They had to ask God, what do you want me to do? And every single time he told them a a different strategy. Hmm. It wasn't the vending machine thing that I want you to do the same thing every time. So I think that's really important that you bring that up, that, that God's really not a vending machine. I mean, he has like, we read the Bible to discover his heart and the, his kingdom, the things that he values, his definitions of right and wrong. Um, And so you have to have that. But yeah. you like it's just like you said, it's he's not a vending machine. We go to him and we ask, you know, God, I have this issue. What do you want me to do about it? Mm-hmm. What's your plan for this? And it may be different from person to person. Yeah. And so when we look at the story of Hannah, though, specifically, then God ends up. He does. He does. He gives her a child. Right. And so after Hannah gives birth and has Samuel, let's just pick back up in the story and read this last big chunk of text showing what Hannah then did with her son. So Sandy, will you finish just reading the rest of the chapter? That's like from 21 on? 21 to the end, yeah. Okay. When Elkanah next took his family on their annual trip to Shiloh to worship God, offering sacrifices and keeping his vow, Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll bring him myself and present him before God, and that's where he'll stay for good. Elkanah said to his wife, do what you think is best. Stay home until you've weaned him. Yes, let God complete what he has begun. So she did. She stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Then she took him up to Shiloh, bringing bringing also the makings of a generous sacrificial meal, a prized bowl, flour, and wine. The child was so young to be sent off. They first butchered the bull, then brought the child to Eli. Hannah said, excuse me, sir, Would you believe that I'm the very woman who was standing before you at this very spot (laughs) praying to God? I prayed for this child and God gave me what I asked for. And now I've dedicated him to God and he's dedicated to God for life. And then and there they worshiped God. Wow. This is incredible. 
That's pretty cool. This is incredible. Do Full you redemption see? right there. You right? Know? But do you see what's happened? Like, what did what was Hannah's response? Like, when God gave Hannah, then even first joy, re- restoration of joy, and then when God gave Hannah what Hannah asked for, Hannah gave what she asked for back, back to, to God. God. Yeah, that's huge. In full surrender. Yeah. She gave it back to him. There wasn't any kind of, I'm begrudgingly doing this either, you know? Right. Like, she was full on, like, I asked for this son, and now I'm going to give it back to you. God, do with do with it what you want. That's pretty huge. This concept is so wild to me. Like, this is crazy because I feel like, and I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, in all reality, I feel like I would have been like, no, I want to keep Samuel to myself to enjoy and be with and hang out with and do all the things. Like, this is the child that I asked for. Yeah. And sometimes we can get into that mindset of like, no, I asked for that. This is my, now I have yeah, to protect this is mine. it. Yeah. And now I have to guard it. Mm-hmm. But what you see is that's not our, that's not the response that we're supposed to have. Like out of, a, out of a love, knowing that God gave you this, how could we not then give him back? What anything, and none of it's ours. Like he's the yeah. only one who can give. So why would we hold on to it and then try to protect it? But I think in our humanness, that's sometimes like what we want to do. But this isn't what Hannah did. She gave her literal heart's desire back to God to do with it whatever he pleased. And this is such a huge example of, I mean, again, let's be careful here, but where God is granting us the desires of our heart and then asking like, like when he does, it's always like according to his will. Do you know what I mean? So it's like God grants us the desires of our heart, but it's according, according to, to his, his will. will. Yeah. And so like that desire that she had, had to have been in line with God's will yeah. and purposes on earth. And, you know, and just to, kind of wrap up the story. So I'm sure that as I know, like we all know this kind of storyline and it's all through the Bible. So God doesn't hand Hannah, here's what's going to happen after you give up. If if you choose to give up Samuel, here's what's going to happen. All the, you know, the big paper with all the events that follow. He Mm -hmm. never does that, you know? Right. So, um, so, but what happens with Hannah's choice and it was totally out of love and devotion to God that she gives Samuel back to God and she was legit, like totally legit with it. She she sends him back to the temple to be raised as a as, as a, a priest. priest. But the thing is, Samuel became the like the premier prophet and priest and and the ruler at that time. Right. What if she had not done that? And we'll never know the answer to that. But what if she hadn't done that? So what happens is, as you read the story, Samuel becomes the 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 top priest and the prophet and he anoints the first king that Saul, mm-hmm. the first king that Israel ever has. And then Saul failed. Like this is the short version. Right. Saul fails. And so Samuel anoints David. David. And David is is like a prototype or a parallel to Jesus. Wow. I mean, it's huge. So, yeah. But what if, what if Hannah hadn't done that? And it's, just, just, it's a huge statement that here's a woman who prayed that child in. Mm-hmm. She prayed with God. And she, there was no manipulation with that prayer. It was pure and it was holy and it was done out of love and devotion to God. But Samuel was born and birthed out of out of prayer. He was bathed in that. So he, so he, and he of course has choices as he's raised. Yeah. But then, I mean, he's he's under that sort of umbrella of how his life started, and then he becomes the huge priest and the huge prophet at the time. It was it's huge. I know I've got chill bumps. <laughs> it's so good. And that's, I mean, I mean even, just because she said yes, just because she said yes. And I also want to note here, like her husband's response, like Elkanah literally says, what does he say? He says, yes, let God complete mm-hmm. what he has begun. Yeah. Meaning so he's all in too. Someone else, like when, 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 you, when God is quote unquote birthing something in you, like your community or the people around you will see that as well. And he's affected by the choice. He I is. mean, it's his son. And he's also freely like all in with what God is doing. Like this is just a beautiful, this is just a beautiful picture of what life in the kingdom mm-hmm. and like what we're, how we're called to respond. And so all of this just leads us to that this is really our invitation as well. 
And so when I look at the life of Hannah and I see how she cried out to God, right? How God met her needs is the only one who can first by not even fulfilling her desire, but just by being present with her and her pain. And then how he birthed desire into her and then how she gave it back to him. I mean, this is our call as well. Like this is so relevant to every believer here and now, like, if we can take our pain of whatever we're feeling in the distraught and blah, 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 and we give it to God, and then we let him place inside of us the desires that that are according to his will, will uh-huh. and then he will ultimately be the one to, I mean, metaphorically, like birth inside of mm-hmm. us, our calling or our destiny that sometimes will come out of that place of extreme pain. Like Hannah, I mean, she was in mourning over this child that she didn't have yet. But then when it lined up with God's will and in his perfect timing, he gave her the desires according to his will, and then she gives it back. Mm-hmm. And like, that's really what, that's really what it's all about. I mean, even, I mean, we can do this with even with how no boundaries got started. Like you and Lori had a the other co-founder right. had a pain for the heart cry of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like you saw, like no boundaries was birthed yeah. out of a painful, like that you could see that they were hurting and lost and broken. And you had to freely share your expertise in whatever field that looked like. But then God placed no boundaries in the heart within you. And the two of you birthed that into existence and gave it right back to him. Mm-hmm. And you see, like... Yeah. But I think, too, like Hannah, like, we didn't have a clue what that meant. Well, yeah. And, and normally you don't. I mean, yeah. Hannah probably has had no idea who Samuel would become. She wouldn't know that he'd be the prophet of the, pro- like, yeah. of the land. Uh-huh. She probably had no idea any of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Samuel's anointing two kings? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's huge. And he's, like, the voice of the times? Mm -hmm. Like, she had no idea in that, but that's what God does. Like, when we take that place of pain and we allow him to form it and transform it and meet us in it and then birth something Something. that we're carrying and we give that back to him, we have no idea the implications, but it's going to be huge because it's kingdom, because it's his. And that's who he is. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. He will use whatever our things are, whatever we have in our hands that he's he's the one who's given us, and he'll use it to bless the world. And that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know, man. <laughs> this is a great story. Yeah, it's really good. So, Sandy, as we wrap up, do you have any final or parting thoughts? I don't know. I just think it's a beautiful story. I mean, God uses, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning of the talk that... Um, Women were like kind of second class citizens. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't have rights and they couldn't even make, they can't even fend for themselves outside of a man. And, but he, look at God, look what he did through this woman. Yeah. So he takes the least and the likely. And he, like, her yes turned into a huge yes. I mean, to have Samuel, a major prophet, and starts the prototype of Jesus sort of thing going on. Yeah. And it's really huge. And then he uses her. Yeah. And it's just because of her her yes in that was just like no reservations, like a total yes, and gives herself over to God. Mm-hmm. No matter so what the accusations were or what the cultural narrative at the time was. Or how hard it was going to be or whatever. Mm-hmm. She just said yes she was all in. to God. And so I think that's where we want to land today. Is it whatever, as the listener, whatever you're going through or whatever pain that you have to take it to the only one who can truly meet your desires, to pour your heart out to him unreservedly and, and without apology, just pour yourself out to the Lord and see what he does with it and let him meet you. Because the truth is, is that we serve a God who's witnessed everything, who's born witness to everything that we've ever been through. He was crucified for us and he died a horrible death with pain and with, with torture so that we could have the fullness of life and reconciliation to our father so that we could even be at the place where we can openly and freely speak to him 
and to where we can openly and freely exchange our pain for his joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, that that's the kind of God that we serve is that he wants to make those exchanges with us. And he wants to show us the things that he's placed within us to bless the world. So we just pray that wherever you are, that you would encounter the living, breathing Christ in a new way. That whatever pain that you have inside of you, we just encourage you to pour it out before God. And we thank you, Jesus, that you'll meet every single person right where they are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we will talk with you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.